Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live as we get going on a Wednesday. You know, it's a weird night in sports when Duke loses a game at home, but that a little bit later on. We welcome in Mark on to the Buffalo News. Mark, I got to tell you, I've, I, I've never seen a scenario and a landscape in the NFL where a team that's playing as well as Buffalo is, is virtually ignored. I mean, they're talking about Pittsburgh and talking about Kansas City and Green Bay. Not much is mentioned about Buffalo, and I'll bet that's a good thing. Yeah, I think uh, that is uh, probably a good thing. They're still a young team in some regards, so uh, a little less... uh, uh, attention or focus uh, might be uh, good for them, but uh, they'll get a little more. They were on uh, Monday night, obviously, uh, against San Francisco, and they'll be on uh, Sunday night football uh, against Pittsburgh, and this is the first Sunday night game for the Bills at home since 2007, so a long time. Well, I see a lot of coaches, coaches always like to downplay everything. And I'll bet Sean McDermott is no different. Uh, you know, coaches will say, oh, we're not that good. And, and I get the whole methodology behind it and the whole sight game that's played. But you mentioned the, the game coming up on Sunday night, which has enormous, you know, enormous impact on and everybody concerned. Let's, let's go back. Uh, coming off a win over San Francisco uh, and win by 10 points, uh, second game in a row, they won by 10 uh, after the Hail Mary loss to Arizona. So they've won five out of six, and Josh Allen is playing in, uh, playing very well. 375 yards, four touchdowns against San Francisco. He's having a solid year, and right now is on pace to exceed 4,000 yards. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, take a slight exception. It's better than solid. He's having a, you know, uh, and I know him. I'm just being picky here, but uh, I mean, he's having an outstanding year. He is, uh, you know, uh, exceeding the best hopes of even the most loyal, uh, diehard Bills fans. I mean, uh, uh, you know, obviously anybody who watched Monday night's game, I mean, he just picked them apart. Now, San Francisco, and San Francisco came into the game ranked, uh, uh, with the number four defense. Now, they do have some problems at edge rusher. But anyway, they, you know, they're a capable team, and he just shredded them to bits. Um, so, uh, you know, and his uh, you know, his completion percentage, as you and I have talked about uh, many times,
Times, which was, uh, you know, the whole uh, question mark uh, looming over him, uh, uh, really, for his uh, entering the draft, his college career, and the, the last uh, two years. Uh, I mean, he's he's completing seventy percent of his passes right now. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's gone from fifty-eight eight to seventy percent. So, uh, you know, protecting the ball, he's doing that. I mean, here then sensational and they are putting the ball in his hands they are um yeah you know the the one two three one in the top three of the passingest teams in the league so they are trusting him and he has answered the bell it's uh really the big uh you know it is the big development for this whole franchise going forward because you know this looking like they can say they're set at that position uh, Mark, when you when you look at uh, quarterbacks around the league, Patrick Mahomes has got Tyreek Hill, and New Orleans has got Mike Thomas, and Green Bay's got Devontae Adams. There's no coincidence here that the addition of Stephon Diggs has helped Josh Allen certainly and helped the ball club generally. Yeah, that's another. Uh, you know, it was a big move, obviously huge move for, for the team, giving up their. Uh, First round draft choice and a fourth uh, um, to get digs. Uh, you know, I think you just look at uh, the. You need to know about your quarterback. Uh, you and uh, so how can we get a one hundred percent read on him and uh, uh, and know exactly what you got? Well, you piece by piece put the pieces around him, and so you can look and compare what the Bills have done with Josh Allen over three years of free agency and drafting and how they have put the pieces around him to be able to say, what exactly do we have on our hands here? And then, you know, you look at what the Jets have done or didn't do uh, with Sam Darnold. Uh, and again, we can, we, without going down the road of Sam Darnold, but, you know, it's, there's no comparison. Uh, I mean, in terms of offensive line help, skill position talent, no comparison what the Bills have done. And then even, you know, talk about somebody like Carson Wentz, who's having a uh, bad season. Now, injuries have been a big problem for the Eagles. But, I mean, O-line and skill position talent, Josh Allen versus Carson Wentz, uh, I mean, Josh Allen has way better um, help around him. So, uh, it's been a smart day of, uh, and, 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 you know, when the Josh Allen is in a critical third down fourth down gotta have it moment he has been able to go to Diggs, and Diggs has gotten open well Diggs has got over a thousand yards uh and and it's not it's not just Diggs. i mean cole beasley's having a good year uh gabriel davis gets i mean he averages almost 17 yards per reception uh so they're getting tremendous production out of the passing game not only that the defense has produced 30 sacks this year, uh, and, uh, you know, you, you can't be one-dimensional in this league, as you well know, if you want to go deep into the postseason. Yeah, no question uh, about that, and their defense uh, is the, which has been the strongest part of the team uh, the past three years, is the weaker side of the ball this year, but the defense has come on uh, since uh, week seven, um, uh, the last six games. Uh, the defense has uh, produced uh, a lot better and uh, gotten a lot more turnovers and sacks. And um, so, 
they've gotten a little healthier. Um, so, yes, uh, the, the defensive resurgence has, has really uh, helped uh, the Bills go on this run of wins in five of the last six and really coulda, shoulda, woulda have <laughs> been six out of six. Well, you know, you, you, you lose to a Hail Mary, that, that happens. But you know, I look at this defense, Jordan Pryor, I mean, he's your safety leading the team in tackles with 100. Yeah, he, uh, there's, you know, you, you started this segment uh, uh, talking about the Bills under the radar a little bit compared to, uh, uh, you know, the Green Bay, Kansas City, Pittsburgh. Uh, um, but uh, the Bills safety tandem, uh, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, two veterans, you know, they are one of the best safety tandems in the NFL. And uh, uh, in terms of just reliable, smart, disguising coverage, disguising coverage after the snap, sure tackling. Um, uh, so that is a huge asset for the Bills. The Bills have been one of the NFL leaders in fewest deep passes allowed. Um since, 20, since Sean McDermott got here in 2017. And, uh, you know, a big part of that is they just, uh, their secondary is so assignment sound because their safeties don't make coverage busts. And, uh, um, you know, and that evidenced again in uh, the San Francisco game, they were able to, I mean, uh, obviously San Francisco's offense has some uh, issues. They are missing their tight end and quarterback. But, I mean, how are the Brick Niners going to beat you run after the catch by their two good receivers, Samuel and Ayuk, and the Bills kept, thanks to good safety play and solid secondary play, the Bills uh, didn't uh, allow the Niners to do that much and run after the catch. And it's, it's not only that, their linebacking core led by Tremaine Edmonds has done an outstanding job. Uh, I look at, and I have, this just hit me uh, as I'm looking at the Buffalo and looking over their numbers and so on. How about the performance of Andre Roberts in their return game? I mean, he's averaging almost 29 yards per kickoff return and almost 12 yards per punt return. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's 32 years old, uh, and I think he ran a 4 4 5 pretty fast. Uh, coming out of uh, college, uh, and he has not lost any of his speed. He has been sensational. There's another thing they've slowly built up. They uh, have a core of uh, veteran special teamers who they have signed uh, and gone after uh, on modest deals, but really hardcore quality special teams uh, coverage guys and blocking guys, and that helps Andre Roberts too, but Roberts is really really dangerous um the bill uh, i think there's been i think i've kept, like seven games where he's basically given them a short field score we mentioned uh talking about the steelers game coming up on sunday night in prime time uh but it's uh, it you you can look down the road and see well you got a road game against denver and denver can be dangerous uh you know come home and you play uh no actually you're on the road to play the patriots and, you know, anytime you're playing against the Belichick team, you got to be careful. But yeah. wrapping up the season at home against the Dolphins could be a huge game. And the Dolphins have been one of the surprise teams in the league. No question. I mean, uh, they there's another organization that has done a lot of things right uh, uh, personnel-wise in building that team. Uh, and now they got two first-round draft choices 
in the next coming upcoming draft, and one of them, uh, the Houston, they've got Houston's pick, which as of right now is maybe eighth. Uh, they got a t- it's looking like a top ten pick, uh, in addition to their own pick. So Miami is going to be a force. Uh, now, you know the Bills do. They have, Bills have a one game lead on them uh, on the Dolphins, but uh, the Bills also beat Miami, um, and the Bills have the tiebreaker edges in division and in conference. I think I saw one of the analytics sites that the Bills have a 91% chance of winning the division. So the, the, a lot of the tiebreakers are in Buffalo's favor. Miami, and again, I'm not saying Miami has been, uh, had an outstanding season, but they, I did see that, you know, their strength of schedule to this point has been, you know, like top three easiest, and, and the last four weeks is the hardest. Uh, Miami's got uh, the Chiefs this week, New England, Las Vegas, and Buffalo. Um, so, I mean, I don't think Miami, Miami uh, you know, I'm gonna, is not going to win the division. The Bills are going to win the division. I mean, unless they have, you know, majored some disastrous injury in the qualifier. But uh, it, it, Miami's going to be a wild card. Mark, uh, we're talking about Mark Garner, the Buffalo News. Uh, I don't know. I, you, the coaches pay close attention to detail. And McDermott looks at Pittsburgh's loss, their first loss of the year to Washington. Um, it, it didn't surprise me. Pittsburgh, first of all, looked like they were playing down to the competition. And I'm not denigrating Washington because I think Washington's a lot better than people think. And you look at a, at a guy like Alex Smith, one of the great stories, and how he's made his comeback from a near disastrous uh, injury. But the way that they played against Pittsburgh the other day, they didn't back off Pittsburgh's defense. They challenged them. Yeah, I, I agree with you that Washington is uh, better than people think. Uh, their defense, I think, is fourth in the NFL. Their defensive line, they have studs. They have some studs on defense, especially defensive line. Uh, so, um, you know, their defense is legit, and Pittsburgh is having some confounding uh, troubles running the ball. Um you know, which is unusual for them. So Pittsburgh's run game has been terrible. Um, they think, from what I hear, they're going to get James Conner back from the COVID list for the Buffalo game on this Sunday. Their star center, Marquise Pouncey, is on the COVID list, has been on there for this is his eighth day on the list. I'm not – that will be something to watch uh, if he comes off the list in time to play – Sunday or not. Uh, haven't heard anything about that, but that would be a big help to the Steelers' run game, uh, and if he doesn't play, it's a big loss. Well, there's no question about it. It's a kind of interesting, and I guess you've been covering the Bills for a while, huh? Oh, yes. So, the AFC East for 20 years has been dominated by the Patriots, and here we are looking at the AFC East and talking about Buffalo and talking about Miami and no conversation about New England uh, I mean, New England's not going to the playoffs, uh, barring uh, a miracle. Right. But by the same token, you can't look past this team. They'll find a way. Oh, I mean, uh, uh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, uh, no way, yeah, uh, uh, like you said, Bill Bell, any Bill Belichick team is going to be, uh, is going to maximize its chances 
uh, to win games. So you know, they as we again as we've said, their their skill position situation is bad right now. Uh, you know, they, you wouldn't trade their receiving core for uh, almost any other team in the league, or barely. Uh, but you know, they uh, get the most out of their talent. Uh, you know, to beat the Chargers forty-five nothing. Uh, uh, is uh, I, 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 it's, it's obviously I, I wasn't surprised at all that they won, but uh, you know they they outcoached them uh, on every level. Uh, special teams were a disaster for the Chargers. So um, you know, and Bill, there's a Belichick. There's another uh, thing we could sing his praises all day, but one of the great special teams head coaches. Their special teams for 20 years. Uh, have been among the best in the league every year. Last year in Buffalo, uh, they blocked a punt, wound up winning the game. <laughs> they won 16-10 thanks to a blocked punt touchdown uh, in Buffalo last year. So, uh, yeah, you're like you said, the Bills go to New England. The Bills should win that game, but we got to let them play the game because New England is a tough out. You've seen Kansas City. Um, I watch Kansas City. I don't know how many times in a game watching Kansas City and watching Patrick Mahomes, do I go, wow. <laughs> I mean, this kid, he's something special. This is not a manufactured PR uh, stunt here. This, this kid is legitimate to the point of where you look at him and he, he makes, look, Tyreek Hill's a game breaker, no doubt about it. And, and, uh, and, and uh, Kelsey is an outstanding tight end, might be the best tight end in the league. But this guy makes everybody around him dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you can't say it enough. And uh, that makes them, even though they're tied with Pittsburgh for the best record in the AFC right now, but regardless of whether Kansas City winds up the number one seed or the number two seed, uh, they're the defending champs, and they're, in my eyes, the favorite because of that guy. So... uh, uh, they're just fun to watch. You pay money to, uh, to watch that guy. And actually, the way Josh Allen is playing, he is fun to watch, too. Now, I'm not saying Mahomes is better, uh, but uh, Josh Allen has been really fun to watch and sensational outside the pocket, running with the ball. Um, so, uh, yeah, he has been, uh, you know, a uh, 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 a notch below. He plays a, a style that is somewhat uh, similar to Patrick Mahomes. Buffalo right now is third in the AFC. Um, I, I don't know if you do this, but going down the road, uh, they could wind up playing Indianapolis or Tennessee or somebody like that. Um, do you do you uh, kind of just fool around a little bit with a piece of paper and, well, Buffalo plays this team. You know, what are their chances and so on. first round of the playoffs if you're good enough you're it doesn't matter you know i mean i get it there are some teams that are bad matchups for other teams uh like last week uh, the rams played the cardinals and the rams play the cardinals well uh, all the time and and they dominated that game but so there i do believe absolutely that there are better matchups uh, uh but you know like if you're really good like the chiefs the chiefs aren't that concerned They'll just take whoever they play because, you know, uh, they're that good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Tennessee, uh, 
Cleveland could be a problem for Buffalo because they run the ball, and there's still a little bit of a question about the Bills' stoutness against the run. But, again, if you're Buffalo and you're home in the playoffs, uh, you've got to say to yourself, we like Josh Allen over any of those guys. We'll take Josh Allen over Baker Mayfield. We'll take Josh Allen over uh, Phillip Rivers. We'll take Josh Allen over uh, Ryan Tannehill and trust that he can get it done. Um uh, that's the that's the way the Bills have to look at it at this point. Now, you know, I mean, but any of those any of those teams, it would be a close game. And the Bills lost to Tennessee on the road uh, early in week uh, four, I want to say. Um, but that's not. There's no shame in that. Tennessee is pretty good. Well, yeah, they fell behind like I think was it thirty five to seven last week uh, in the first half and staged a tremendous comeback and fell just a little bit short. But the Cleveland team, that's only the second win for Cleveland against a team with a winning record. Yeah, and, you know, Baker Mayfield has not been overly impressive in some, in a bunch of those games, but he was impressive in that game, so good for him. Um, and uh, certainly the Browns fans have uh, suffered uh, yeah. collectively more than, <laughs> yeah. more than any, so uh, let them enjoy it and see, you know, they're obviously – uh, they're not going to win the division, so they could wind up. Uh, Cleveland could wind up in Buffalo. They got Baltimore, which is tough out. They got the Giants, the Jets, and Pittsburgh. So you got to think Cleveland's going to wind up with at least eleven wins. Um, if they beat Baltimore, maybe maybe twelve, eleven or twelve. So Cleveland should get the first wild card spot. It's rare, and you mentioned Baltimore. They put up almost 300 yards on the ground last night. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is, as, as dangerous as Lamar Jackson on his feet, he doesn't beat you in the air, and I'm wondering if that can come back and, and haunt the Ravens. Yeah, yeah, that is a concern. Obviously, they did a better job in some games last year of throwing the ball, but it has not been as good this year. And certainly keep him in the pocket, make you beat, make him beat you from the pocket, uh, get get them playing from behind. If you do those things, uh, Baltimore has struggled uh, to overcome those things. So they got three easy games. I, I mean, they got I mean they got Cleveland, which is a tough game, but then they got Jacksonville, the Giants, and Cincinnati. So you got to think they're they're going to get to ten. They're going to they should be in. Are they? Probably. Well, well, let me take that back. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to get to 10, but they might, uh, we'll see. It's going to be very close because obviously Tennessee is 8-4, Indy's 8-4, uh, Vegas is 7-5. and five. So it's, it's going to be a scramble uh, for those last, uh, the last playoff spots. I wouldn't look past the Giants, and, and we got a glimpse of that last week when they beat Seattle. And the way that they harassed Russell Wilson all game, Tremendous job by the defense and the defensive coordinator Pat Graham. I, I'm I was blown away with how they had com- Russell Wilson completely confused. Yeah, I didn't see any of that game, but I was certainly ex- very surprised. <laughs> but um, uh, so yeah, and that's 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 another race that's going to be interesting. Uh, the Giants and Washington—they're both five and seven. The Giants have. Uh, beaten Washington twice, so obviously they got the huge tiebreaker edge, but uh, Washington uh, could win that. I mean, uh, the Giants have Arizona, Cleveland, Baltimore, Dallas. 
Hmm. So let's say that's maybe one more win. That's one more, you know, again, who knows? They could win it. They could win more than that. But, I mean, they have one easier game in Dallas. Uh, Washington has the Niners, Seattle, Carolina, and Philadelphia. I mean, you could certainly see the Giants going one and three and Washington going two and two. So, or, you know, again, we, we don't play these, why these games are played on the field. But that, that, so the point is that race is a long way from over and it's probably going to go down to the last week. Seattle uh, gets uh, upset at home by the Giants without their starting quarterback, which is an, an accomplishment. So now Seattle gets to uh, say, okay, we got the Jets coming to town. Uh, how, how much? Look, the Giants were a 10-point underdog. The Jets, are, I think, right now are a 14-point underdog. I'm going to take Seattle and give the points all day long. This Jets team, it's in such disarray. And then the firing of Greg Williams after he decided it'd be a good idea to have an all-out blitz when he should have played he should have played protection in the secondary. And he got four young defenders in the secondary, and he left them alone on the island. He deserved to get fired. But my question is, Adam Gase is the head coach. If you didn't like the call, why didn't you call timeout and get Greg Williams to change the call? I didn't understand that. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting. Uh, I totally agree with that. The head coach could easily override the call. That's why you're the head coach, right? To make uh, the you get to make the call in the most critical uh, go for it, don't go for it, what we're doing situation. So, so it's obvious. I mean, again, uh, as we we've seen, uh, it's uh, it was the first time ever in the last uh, 15 seconds of a game somebody. Uh, rushed that many players in a Hail Mary situation since 2000, since they kept stats in 2000 or something. Anyway, it's a never, you know. So I, I kind of, I, I'm of two, I have two opinions on this. One, uh, he should have got, you know, I mean, it's a fireable offense. It was, a, it was an ego uh, call uh, to blitz everyone. Um, and, you know, players are held accountable. You know, players get fired. On a given week for making a bad, horrible decision. So why shouldn't coaches be held to the same tough standard that a player uh, is held to on occasion? That's the case for firing them. The case for not firing them is they're winless. Uh, it's a, such an obvious scapegoat call. Um, and he's been your guy this long. You know who he is. And as you just said, uh, the head coach could have easily uh, changed that call um, or called timeout and said, let's think about this. So um, I guess I, I guess I would say I don't like, I would come down on not firing him, even though it's a terrible call, fireable offense. You're 0-12, you're the head coach, you've been leading this uh, Titanic, <laughs> and you and it is too obvious of a scapegoating uh, move. Well, particularly when he comes out the next day and says, I should have called timeout. Well, <laughs> really? Uh, and the week before, he said, we should have played more aggressive. Really? Uh, look, I don't, I've, I've gone so many different ways with Adam Gase. I, I don't understand. I was against firing him after week four uh, because... Uh, what are you going to do, put Greg Williams in as a head coach? That doesn't make any sense. And now I'm to the point where you have to send a message to your fans. Your fans deserve 
to hear what's going on right now and keeping him on. I don't care if you put you in charge of the Jets and have them. You could be the head coach because you can't do any worse. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's ugly. It is uh, ugly, and they have mismanaged. And the sad thing is, uh, you know, they earned the right through terrible play to get a high position and draft uh, Sam Darnold, and they have woefully mismanaged it. Um, and really, uh, on an, uh, the real blame falls to ownership. Absolutely, um, absolutely. The real blame because you have to have it's your job. The one job is well, find the right coach, but have the head coach and the general manager uh, joined at the hip, and they have blown it. And that's on the oh, that's on nope, that's on the ownership of the Jets. Um, you know, letting uh, uh, um, the former GM Mike McCagney, um do the free agent hiring and the draft, and then firing him. Uh, uh, after he basically picked your roster uh, in the twenty nine in the twenty nineteen uh, off season, um, and then firing him, that was insane. Uh, you should have you, you, you should have fired him in January and paired him up again. Uh, uh, so uh, these shotgun marriages between uh, head coaches and general managers, some owners, I feel like they middle it. Uh, they uh, are reluctant to do the heavy lifting of hiring both positions. So they create a shotgun wedding between a hoed coach and a GM, and it's better off. You're all usually better off. I mean, unless you've got, obviously, you've been very successful and you're the Ravens, and Ozzie Newsome is your general manager. Yes, you have him pick that, you know, you got him to pick the head coach, but. Um, you know, you, you, you need to have synergy between those two positions. The Jets have not had it, and we'll see what Joe Douglas does this offseason in picking the new coach. Well, even and you're right. Uh, look, why has Pittsburgh, year in and year out, been so successful? Uh, great ownership. Uh, you, there's a parallel between great ownership and production on the field. The Jets have not made the playoffs in 10 years. They look totally lost. Christopher Johnson takes over uh, as the owner of the team while, uh, while his brother Woody is playing ambassador in the United Kingdom. And I think if the president finally decides to concede, Woody Johnson will be able to come home. But I don't think he's going to do it because uh, his son goes to school in, in England. I'm not sure he's going to be in that much of a hurry to come back to the United States. But, you know, that aside, you, you look at the situation where Christopher Johnson hired Adam Gase for what reasons... I have no idea, because he didn't do a good job in Miami. And when he had Ryan Tannehill, he was not very good. Now look at Ryan Tannehill. Is there any correlation between that? I think so. I agree with that. I agree with that. So, uh, you know, I think Jets fans have to hope and pray that Joe Douglas is the right man for the job. I like Joe Douglas's resume, and uh, he seems to, you know, be making, have made sensible decisions. So uh, they better hope that they got it right with Joe Douglas because I'm presuming he's going to uh, have full authority to hire the next coach, uh, which obviously he is. Well, so, you, yeah. hey, all you got to do is look down the list of their draft choices. You mentioned McCagnin, uh, I mean, And you look at the failure of first-round draft choices going back to, 
My God, I mean, going back to Muhammad Wilkerson, released. Quentin Copel, uh, waived. D. Milliner, waived. Uh, Richardson, traded to the Seahawks. Calvin Pryor, traded to the Browns. Leonard Williams, traded to the Giants. Um, Darren Lee, traded to the Chiefs. And then Jamal Adams, finally talked his way out and now playing for a, a championship contender in the Seahawks. Look, uh, we, we see the handwriting on the wall. Nobody needs to, to, to be uh, taken by the hand and taken to the well. That is a disaster, and your association with the Titanic, I think, is an appropriate one. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, now we've got all Jets fans uh, gnashing their teeth and uh, spitting up their coffee right now. So, but, uh, of course, they have been doing that. So, you know, I mean, uh, and again, uh, what are Jets fans doing right now? The one thing that they've got to hang on to is Trevor Lawrence. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, like they hung on to Sam Darnold. But, uh, you know, you got to believe that uh, Trevor Lawrence is a, in the um, uh, Andrew Luck category mm -hmm. of clean, uh, elite, number one quarterback draft picks. So, you know, they need to get the right person uh, to... You know, the right leader, not just offensive coach, but the right leader to, you know, that's another thing, uh, the, the, you know, the, the Adam Gase hiring. So, you know, sometimes uh, teams try to find the offensive or defensive genius as a coordinator, but that guy better be a, have full command organizational leader. You know, why is Mike Tomlin a great coach? Yes, he came in with a, uh, of strong defensive resume, pretty strong. Um, but it's not because of his defensive acumen. It's because of who he is as a leader. Absolutely. Hey, Mark, always appreciate your time. Uh, you, have, you have a good day, and don't forget to stay safe. Thank you so much, Howard. Bye-bye. Mark, gone to the Buffalo News. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you look at the – I mean, this is no secret. If you have a bad organization, you're going to have bad teams. They haven't been in the playoffs in 10 years. They're worse than awful. They're embarrassing. And with firing Greg Williams, I mean, that's just the beginning. Adam Gase knows that he's gone. It's just a matter of, of time. And, you know, by this time next month, uh, he will be out of work. But I don't root for guys to lose their jobs. But first of all, he had no business getting this job. That was just a bad, bad idea by Christopher Johnson. And, you know, it is what it is, as they say. Some, a lot of people say that. I, I don't know. I, it is no coincidence. There is a coincidence. Hey, Mr. Maxwell, he is Cornbread Maxwell, outstanding broadcast analyst on Boston Celtics Radio. And I heard something today that I can't believe. Did you hear this? That James Harden, who's out on the loose, now is being uh, associated with the Boston Celtics. Did you hear that?
Well, um, you know, what is the status before we go further of Kemba Walker? Does that trigger a response by the Celtics? I mean, they, can they get a, a James Harden and all of a sudden? Well, I, I, that, that's speculation at this point. The fact of the matter is uh, the Celtics, they, they re-upped Jason Tatum, which was smart. Uh, but uh, Gordon Hayward's gone now. Uh, how much will he be missed or will he be missed at all? Uh, you heard all of the rumors about Harden maybe going uh, to Brooklyn to form this uh, superstar triumvirate with Durant and Kyrie Irving. And you're very familiar with Kyrie Irving in terms of his effect on the Celtic locker room. I firmly believe if, if they even think about adding Harden, and first of all, it cost him. It cost him a Dinwiddie. It cost him a Lavert, maybe a Joe Harris. Uh, and now you, you're looking at, Three ball-dominant players in Irving, yeah, Durant, yeah. and Harden. I, Irving, for one, I don't see him buying in. You know what? I would think it would be tough, Howard, but I think that we looked at it the same way that I looked at it when it was the dream team. I was like, how can you put those guys together? And, you know, how many basketballs are you going to need? Well, who is going to step down? and put their ego at the door and say, I don't want to score as many points as for the betterment of the team. I don't see either one of either three of those players being that way. So it would be really tough to put him in that situation with Kyrie and Durant and have only one basketball. No, I completely agree. Uh, I, I, I just I don't see it. And plus, what they would have to give up, you talked about what the Celtics would have to give up. The Nets would have to give up an awful lot. See, personally, the way the Nets are currently con- configured right now, with the roster they have right now, I put them no worse than top four team in the East. I mean, you think about it. If Kyrie is healthy and he comes back, he plays the way he does. And Durant still is, I think, and people have talked about, still one of the best players in the game. If he comes back, 
And Kyrie made a statement the other day, which went out in the news, which you know was uh, he said, yeah, "I've never been on a team where I wasn't the number one option of of scoring the basketball." And LeBron kind of took offense to <laughs> that, and uh, probably rightfully so. But then he said also at the same time, he said that dude over there, when he was talking about Durant, can make just as many, if not more, shots than me. So. Uh, it's, it's that 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 dynamic along with a young coach who hasn't been there before, Steve Nash. That uh, that that's a little bit like fire, you know. That's that that's that's fire and gas being put together. I, I don't know. It's it's got to be controlled. There's been a lot of changes, and there always is to the coaching uh, positions in the NBA. And, there's nine new head coaches now. You mentioned Steve Nash. He comes in with no experience as a head coach, but he has been uh, the leader on teams. He's won two MVPs. He doesn't, he doesn't need any introduction to the league and how it's played. I could see him coaching uh, in a similar way. Now, to. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that. And the reason I say I don't know that is because when you – I don't know if he's been away from the game for a while. The game continues to move. Now, is he smart enough to catch up with it? Yeah, he should be. But it's going, that 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 narrative of him coming in, he needs no introduction. No, you know he is. But again, there's a difference. You and I have laughed about this before, than being in the first chair and the second chair when you have to make decisions. And Steve Nash has never had to make any of these decisions. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um but when Kevin Durant signs off on the hiring, uh, your best player says, hire him, you hire him. Yeah, be, you know, be careful what you ask for, okay? I guess, you know, I guess. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't necessarily work the way you might think. There was a guy named Rick Pitino one time who went out and, and got three players, uh, a Travis Knight, and put Travis Knight on the back back line and said, we're going to be a pressing, dominant team, and Travis Knight's going to block shots at the end of the day. Well, you got Travis Knight, but Travis Knight wasn't a shot blocker. And, and, and there are things about that that just did not work out. So, you know, men have always had great plans, but they don't always work out the way they, you, you think they might. And the latest rumor uh, that just came out about an hour ago was, would the 76ers trade Ben Simmons straight up for James Harden? If you're Philadelphia, do you do that? Pulled the trigger in a minute. Couldn't, couldn't do it fast enough. What about the other way around if you're Houston? You do it? Uh, Houston, yeah. Because you're getting, you're, you're getting back a guy who's under contract, who is who's going to be, who, who has the potential to be one of the top ten players, I think, in the NBA for a long time. Uh, he's going to grow. He's going to grow physically. He reminds me a lot of Magic. Uh, you know, obviously not the shooter, but a facilitator, rebounder, does all these other things. And you're getting back that player. I think both teams would would be smart to make that move. I like uh, it. You know, it, it takes it takes the pressure off of. Uh, you know, of trying to get him big the basketball all the time, since he doesn't have any help as, uh, or score when you have Harden there. So 
I would like that move if I was Philadelphia. Well, they got a new head coach in Doc Rivers, and you know, and you know Doc, and, uh, and it was an intriguing move. And forget about all the stuff you heard about what was going on in the Clipper locker room. You said before about moving over from one seat to the next. That's Tyron Lue. He's moving over from the second seat to the first seat. What do you think will be different with the Clippers? Well, here's the, the only difference about that. He's been in the first seat before. Uh, he's won a championship recently that you could think back on. And for him to make that move now, I think is I don't think is as outrageous as Steve Nash. He has a relationship with these players. He's been with these players. He knows these players. He's been in the league. He has consistently been in the league. I think he took maybe a year off, but that's about it. Steve Nash has not been in the NBA that I know of. I don't know. How was it the last eight, nine, ten years? How, how long has it been that he's been away from the game? Yeah, well, he's been a quote-unquote consultant for the Golden State Warriors, for whatever that's worth. No, what, what the hell? I don't do like that. What the hell is a consultant? <laughs> what, what, do you do? what do you do? Get a check? I mean, I'm going to tell you how to run a play. I mean, what what are you as a consultant to a team instead of being a coach? That's, that is a completely different narrative. Well, the only thing is that uh, sitting next to him is going to be Mike D'Antoni on the bench. switch topics a little bit talk about the defending champion Lakers I believe they're better now than when they won the title Schedule this year is going to be unbelievable. 
when you're talking about 72 games, you're talking about playing every other night. I'm looking at there's very I'm looking at the Celtics schedule. There's maybe a couple of games where you don't play for, you know, three days, but essentially almost every other night. And how's that gonna be wear and tear on the older player? I, I agree, uh, but I think I think LeBron James is the exception from this standpoint. You just look at his body and the way that he mm-hmm. takes care of his body, and he's mm-hmm. he's a physical specimen that's that's un- unparalleled, I think, uh, than anything I've seen. And and then there's now the NBA's uh, kind of making it known as it relates to load management that they don't want players taken off. As an example, you get you take your son to a basketball game and you and you're in you're living in Sacramento and uh, and the Lakers come to town and LeBron sits out well here's a guy who saved his money to go buy those tickets and his his son's going to be disappointed that LeBron's not playing well well Howard here's the, the flip side to that not this year because <laughs> ain't nobody going to be in the arena yeah right so this, right this year is going to be this year is going to be a mulligan it's going to be something which is going to be brand new so load management might change now when you think about those fans that were coming to the game to see LeBron and you rest him now. There might be a bigger opportunity to rest him now this year in the fact that there's going to be nobody at the game. As a broadcaster for me, you know, I'm thinking about how it is in the, so far, I guess in the first 40 games or whatever, you know, we as Celtic broadcasters, we're not going on the road. The team is going on the road. We're going to be doing the games from Boston, from either the Boston Garden, or maybe from the uh, studio. And so here in Boston. So it's going to be a one-mile difference in us doing the road game. Uh, a lot of changes. A lot of big names change. Anthony. Montrez Harrell now goes across the Staples Center from one locker room to the other. Uh, so he, he helps the Lakers and has... Uh, he's, they take him away from the Clippers who pick up Sergi Baca. Uh, so that's a positive for the Clippers. But the Lakers get an aging Marcus Gasol who can be of help. They re-sign Caldwell Pope. They add Dennis Schroeder, and I think that last thing is a really big deal. Dennis Schroeder is a really good point guard. He really is a very good point guard. He was considered when he was in Germany as, as the uh, uh, Rondo of Germany. And uh, when he was younger, the thing that I would be more concerned about, and I'm sure you maybe would be on the same page, I think they're going to miss Rondo more than they think because of the way he set up, guys. Schroeder's become, you know, he's a, he's a crafty little point guard, gets some things going, maybe a better outside shooter than Rondo. But you give me Rondo in a big game situation, I am not sure how many point guards are better than Rajon Rondo right now, today. And if, if I had to have him in, you know, a series to play, I think that's where the Lakers are going to really miss him, miss him. So as much as I think they have gone up with their talent, that's one guy I think they're going to miss. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, and now he goes to Atlanta. Uh, keep your eye on this team. I mean, they add Rondo, Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Dunn, uh, they got Capella, they got uh, John Collins, and of course they got Trey Young. Uh, I think this Hawks team might be improving enough to where they'll contend for a seven-eight spot in the East. I think that I think that they should. I mean, you think about the guys that you're able to pick up on that team. 
And, you know, you are already a, a team that has some dynamic scores. And your your core unit is still young, and you add some veteran pieces to it. I don't see why you, you can't be a team that contends for seven or eight in the NBA. I mean, you know, eight. and then there's, then there's the play-in game. So it would be a shame if they did not make the playoffs. Yeah, and going over to the West, Chris Paul goes uh, goes to Phoenix. So now he teams with Devin Booker to form probably as good a backcourt as there is in the league. They also had Jay Crowder. I think that, look at what Phoenix did in the bubble. They went 8-0 in the bubble and then tried to contend for a playoff spot, and they fell short. But Monty Williams has done a really good job with his team. Uh, I think they can contend for a 7-8 spot in the West also because I don't – look, if Houston doesn't make a uh, – if Harden is still with Houston, first of all, I'd be shocked. Second of all, regardless of what move they make – Houston's going to fall a few spots. You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Houston will fall a few spots. And, you know, we, and we do all this talking, and which is really the strange thing, which is funny to me. And you've done all this talking, and you haven't said a word about the world's most famous arena. Haven't said a word about the Knicks at all. You, you and I have always said this line where the NBA is healthier when the Knicks are playing well. We don't even see the Knicks on the radar, do we? No, they well, and the look, they make, a, they make a big splash adding Tom Thibodeau, and Tom Thibodeau is, is, you know, everybody knows he's a good coach, but what have they done? They, they're always looking for the superstar that they can't seem to get for whatever the right. reason. And I don't know what that reason is. I mean, right. people that, just don't that, want to play. That is, that is so true when you say that. Yeah, you add Tom Thibodeau, Except Phil, Phil Jackson, if he was coming back as a coach, I'd have a different opinion. But at the time, this is in hindsight, at the time I was saying, why are you bringing Phil Jackson back? He has no experience in front office work. And so, Max, I firmly believe he set that franchise back at least four years. Good God. They were, they were already back, Howard. So. No, it's worse. He made them worse. Uh, Miami Heat pick up uh, Avery Bradley, uh, who's an outstanding defensive player, and Spolster's an outstanding defensive coach. They shocked the world by getting to the finals. Nobody expected them to be there. Everybody expected it was going to be Milwaukee and the Lakers, and Milwaukee lays an egg. Uh, which was a bigger surprise to you, Milwaukee falling short or the Clippers losing to Denver when they were ahead three games to one? 
Milwaukee wasn't playing well. And Denver, last year, I had said beforehand that Denver was going to make some noise. I thought they would have been in a better playoff position than they were, you know, when they got started the playoffs. But the way they played with Murray and, you know, Jokic, that, that, that's, a, that's a tough, tough out. And then they add a couple of Porter Jr. I think it's going to be outstanding. Uh, so, I mean, they, they that's a big-time place. And then you top that off by people don't realize you go up to Denver to play, and you and I have been there many times before, Howard. You walk around, you get off that plane, and you can be in the best shape of your life, and you're huffing and puffing. So they have a huge home court advantage when you come to Denver. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, players have told me that uh, that they feel like uh, that, that there's a harpoon in their chest after the first quarter of the game. You're I'm right. Howard, Howard, the hell with the players. You and I walk around in Denver, and we're going. <laughs> you're, you, you have to, your, your body has to get adjusted to that thin air. And we're not running. We're just walking. No, you're right. You're right. It's, uh, you know, that they do have a decided home court advantage. I didn't ask you about the Westbrook Wall deal. I don't, I don't quite understand this deal from this standpoint. John Wall hasn't played a game in two years. So what is Houston getting from John Wall and Westbrook? You know, the, Westbrook's an explosive player. There's no doubt about it. So can he and Bradley Beal, and Bradley Beal to me, Max, I know how you felt about it. Bradley Beal to me is one of the best kept secrets in the league. could be well you know paul silas right uh, and his son's getting a chance to be head coach he's long overdue he should have been a head coach years ago but he gets to coach the houston rockets but who's he coaching You know what? You got. You have, first of all, you have an owner, uh, Tillman Fertitta, who's got a reputation of, you know, when the check comes in the restaurant, he goes to the bathroom. Uh, you know, he, wow. he he's 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 a little tight with the dollar. So I think that's part of their problem. 
Well, that could be the case, but how much how tight are you with it when you think about giving an extension right now to offer an extension to pardon four hundred million dollars? Ah. So I- if, if you're tight like that. That's the guy I want to be around. If you're, if you're tight, you give away $100 million, please let me be in your orbit. Well, I think Jason Tatum is a guy. You you might want to go to Jason Tatum and see if he could borrow a few because he's, he's in pretty good shape. Oh, it's a, a great move. And, and, and you know, the biggest thing about the Tatum thing, which, which um, happens when everybody was saying the same thing about Boston. Oh, my God, the Celtics cannot keep talent. Look what happens. They, they, you know, they end up losing Kyrie. Kyrie wanted to go to Brooklyn. They end up losing. They, they just lost two other players. Al decides to go to Philly. Al got a hundred million dollars. But then when you sign Tatum, all of a sudden the noise is stopped because people were already speculating. Well, Jason Tatum wants to leave. He's going to be out there. He's gone. He's the next domino that's going to leave Boston. And he turns around and he signs a five-year deal. So you have uh, created a, a firewall here in Boston with all that noise about good talent not wanting to play for Brad Stevens. Do you think, uh, and, and, this, and the exhibition games start fairly soon, you think the Celtics will make another move? Are you expecting anything? Are you hearing anything? Well, they have the trade exception. And that's where... Um, Five million or whatever, I don't know, some some number like that a year, and they can use that to get. And I don't think they're going to use it until maybe the trade deadline, when when teams are getting rid of uh, older veteran players. Um, but right now, I think they're going to kind of stay pat. Uh, you know what, what they have? They've got some veteran guys. They've, they've got uh, Tristan Thompson comes in. And gives them some uh, uh, stability uh, with their bigs. So, Cantor leads. Um, I love Cantor. He was one of the. He was a dynamic rebounder. Mm-hmm. But there were times when he got there defensively that you know he got beat. So I, I just think that you know something have changed what they're doing. I I think that Danny for the for the time being, and this is just me. For the time being, I think the Celtics right now are just going to hold and see what they have. Uh, no more goofing off for you, Max. you got to go to work pretty soon. Well, that, that happens, Howard. But, you know, and with me, this is what work is, goofing off. It's, <laughs> like, it's, like, it's like I'm building a damn bridge or, or, or you know, changing a motor part and nothing like that. It's like I've had fun with this, this career of mine, this second career of mine for forever. And have enjoyed every bit of it, and understand that you know I'm just pretty much a, a cog in the wheel. You know, losing Tommy Heinsohn this year has put me probably like one of the seniors in the um, in the echelon of the of, of the Celtics right now. Uh, I had a call a couple of years ago. You'd appreciate it from Rich Gotham, who was the president of the Celtics, and. You know, you've had that call before working for the Celtics where you might say something and somebody in the front office doesn't agree with it. And uh, I got a call from him. He said, uh, we need you to be more like Tommy Heinsohn. And I think in my mind, I said, I'd have to be the incredible Hulk to be that green. There's no way I could be that damn green. 
And, and I just started laughing. I said, there's only one Tommy. And then you and I have had arguments with Tommy about basketball players. And he was like, if you were not great, it could be the worst player in the world. We said, that guy is horrible. And Tommy said, no, you know it's not. <laughs> he's a Celtic player, so he's good. So I, I, just, I just laughed when I thought about how, you know, I was told that I need to be more like Tommy Heinz. Well, Rick Pitino told me you got a complaint from Jimmy O'Brien's wife because I said that um, Ron Mercer wouldn't pass the salt at Thanksgiving dinner. Wow. <laughs> that, that, that pro- that, and that probably was a true one. And, you, and I'm sure that you got a call from, from the office saying, what did you say? No, no, no. I, I, didn't, I didn't get the call from the office. I got, uh, we're in Utah, and I get a call from Rick Pitino in my room, he said, what are you doing now? I said, I'm going down to have breakfast. He said, come on, let's go have a cup of coffee. He tells me that Jimmy O'Brien's wife said she didn't appreciate me saying that Ron Mercer wouldn't pass the salt at Thanksgiving dinner. And I said, I said, coach, am I wrong? He goes, that's not the point. I can't, I can't get complaints. And he was laughing when he was telling me this. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, you know, we know how that went for Rick. And, uh, you know, God bless him. He's the one that best college. He's a great coach anyway. Just say he's well, a great coach, but he's a better college basketball coach. And that's been evident in watching him over the years. And, you know, I wish him nothing but luck. He was a good dude. I, I enjoyed being around him. Uh, he, had, he had a big ego to come along with it, but uh, he knew the game of basketball uh, more in college than he did in the pros. Well, he's coaching at Iona now, and I think he'll do a good job there. Hey, Max, always great talking to you, my pal. I, I really appreciate it. And don't forget to stay safe. He is Cedric Cornbread Maxwell. Dynamite. Dynamite. Just a dynamite guy. I mean, I think the world of him, uh, I mean, I consider him, he's like a brother to me. And it's, um, we had four years of a lot of laughter, a lot of bad teams, and they were a bad team. They were a very bad team. But that aside, Hmm, here we go. Getting ready to talk to it. One of the legends of professional football in the broadcast booth. Hello. There he is, Mr. Bill Hillgrove. It's Howard David. How are you today? Fine, Howard. How are you? Uh, never better, and Never better. Just gonna, trying to get by day by day by day. So I'm watching. I'm watching the 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 Washington Pittsburgh game uh, the other night, and I'm expecting Pittsburgh to win the game. And at one point, I think they had a what a 14 to three lead at one point in the game. That was at halftime. And I think, well, they'll probably extend it in the second half. But then something started to trouble me. A lot of drop passes uh, by Steeler receivers for whatever the reason. I just didn't they, – they just looked out of focus, and I couldn't put my hand on it. Maybe missing Connor at a running back was part of it. But I give the Washington the Washington football team a lot of credit because the game was important to them as well. I agree. Uh, I have to tip my hat. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just think the momentum swing was dramatic. Uh, when it was 14 nothing, late second quarter, and the officials uh, – got caught in an administrative bind because Alex Smith took the game ball to the sideline, which is fine. I mean, he's permitted to do that because there apparently is a guy with a K on his jersey 
or whatever outer garment he has, he's the kicker ball guy. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, the officials didn't get to him in time to make it at least fluid for the Washington football team to try to get a field goal uh, unit out there with uh, no timeouts in the pocket. Um, I just thought it was botched. Um, and then, you know, I think with uh, Dustin Hopkins making the 49-yard field goal on the final play of the half, I think uh, the Washington football team said, hey, we can, you know, get back in this thing, which they did. And then, much to their credit, uh, they had a six-minute-plus drive to start the third quarter, converting a third and 14 with a screen pass for 31 yards. And uh, at that point, it snowballed, and uh, I, I thought, uh, the Steelers would react to it like they have all year, and they just didn't. So, you know, they've got uh, they've got some uh, work to do. I, you've been around the Steelers forever and uh, done a great job with the Steelers organization, but I don't think you'll remember a game when the Pittsburgh running game produced 21 yards. Yeah, an average of 1.5. Uh, that's not acceptable for a high school team. And uh, I... I don't know. I I don't watch a whole lot of game film, but my partners, Tuchilkin and Craig Wolfley, who between them played more than two decades of pro football uh, in the trenches, uh, off the air last night, as we did our point after show uh, here in Pittsburgh, uh, they had a little discussion, and I kind of had an ear toward it. Uh, they didn't like the pad level of the Steelers up front. And, and that's where it starts. And I know there was no James Conner, but still, hey, if you can't make, uh, you know, a third down or a fourth down in less than a yard, as Coach Tomlin said, you don't deserve to win. Benny Snell came into that game tied for first in the league on third down and one. And uh, so I don't think it's James Conner or Benny Snell. I think what's going on up front has as much to do with it as anything. Look, there's no doubt about the depth of the receiving talent the Steelers have. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster had, I think, seven catches the other night for, like, ridiculous number, like 28 yards. Uh, and Claypool's an outstanding receiver, but he only had two balls. He only caught two balls. The, the Steelers go basically, I mean, they had one field goal in the second half. That was it. So the offense was just not there. Uh, I'm going to come back to Alex Smith. We both know the injury he had a couple of years ago. I mean, he's lucky to still have his leg. That's how bad the injury was. But he's he's a comeback player of the year par excellence. He is – what he did the other night against the Steelers, I thought it was tremendous. No question. Uh, they should name the award after him. Uh, that's where he came from uh, to, to get back on the field. And a lot of people wouldn't have done it. Uh, but I, I tip my hat to him, and uh, he kept them together, kept them, uh, you know, going in the right direction, north and south. And I don't think the Steelers went north and south uh, as much as I've seen them do in the past. So they've got some things to fix, and they better fix them in a hurry because not only do they have a good football team uh, on uh, Sunday night, they've got a good football team on the road that also has playoff aspirations. So. It should be a good one. I think the Bills are favored by two and a half. Uh, that's home field. But you know what, Howard, 
with the COVID thing, I don't know that home field's that much of an advantage. No, it's not. It's not. You're right. Uh, and Mike Tomlin was honest. And, and look, I have a great respect for Mike Tomlin. Uh, uh, I, I was lucky enough to run into him and his family at a restaurant in South Carolina and spent about a half an hour talking with him. And I find him to be an engaging guy and a great coach. And I mean, what? <laughs> Uh, he needs no introduction, but he came right out and said it. We didn't play well. We didn't deserve to win. And I give him a lot of credit for standing up like a man. He borrowed a page from Chuck Noll when asked about the drops. When he said, hey, if you're not going to catch the ball, we'll probably go out and find somebody who will. (laughs) And uh, Noll was great at that, uh, threatening not only receivers, but any player on the roster at any position with their job if they didn't cut the mustard. And so I think the message was loud and clear, and hopefully they can clean that up. Uh, I have a question. Is it because of the lack of live practice uh, that this kind of thing can happen? It's not happening to a lot of teams, but it has hit the Pittsburgh Steelers. Call it the dropsies, if you will. Yeah, no, it's affected a lot of teams, no question about it. And, and that brings up the other question. Uh, about two months ago, I had Randy Cross on my podcast and Randy predicted then, like week three of the season, he didn't expect the season to finish. Now, it looks like it will, but look at the impact it's had on a number of teams around the league. Yeah, and encouraging, Howard, at least slightly. We haven't seen it nationally or in our state of Pennsylvania, but in the NFL, there was a dramatic decrease from two weeks ago to last week in the number of cases, so maybe that's a good sign. Uh, and, uh, the league has been really very, very careful about the whole thing. Uh, how about the Desert Bryant case last night? Uh, you know, you're warming up and you're told, hey, you can't go. Right. Uh, but, you know, maybe this little bit of uh, hope is there that we can get the season finished because uh, when I saw the Baltimore Ravens roster when they played the Steelers, uh, <laughs> what was it, Wednesday? Uh, I haven't done a Wednesday game my whole career. This is my 27th year. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my chart looked like a bingo card. <laughs> you know, it, it was unbelievable uh, the number of people affected by the, the COVID uh, procedures that the NFL has put in place, but I think it's been good. And, and so far, we haven't seen one team give it to another team. And I think that's encouraging as well. Yeah, he's Bill Hillgrove, the longtime voice of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, you know, going, they had the Steelers were 11 and 0. Where, in terms of the priority, uh, does it matter? I think I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, losing the unbeaten possibility of going unbeaten for the year, does that even enter into the conversation? I don't think in the players' minds it did. I, I think I know what their goal is, and that's to get to Tampa. Uh, but now they know that they can't stumble. Uh, and they had stumbled a couple of times and still won games against what you might call a lesser opponent. But again, you know, the National Football League, the other side gets paid too. And if you show up and uh, kind of go through the motions and drop passes and don't run the ball and you're not physical, uh, the other team gets the message, hey, we can beat these guys. And I think that's exactly what happened on uh, on the uh, Washington National Football Team's big win. So Pittsburgh now this week, and you already mentioned, they go to Buffalo and play the Sunday night game. And it's not an easy day trip for Kansas City either. they got to go play the surprising Miami Dolphins. 
and Pittsburgh and Kansas City are tied now at 11 and one. Does one team have the tiebreaker? I didn't go deep into the into the um, uh, research. Well, right now, Howard, uh, the Steelers' loss is not a conference loss, and I think that looms early in the process. Uh, the the uh, Kansas City Chiefs lost to the Las Vegas Raiders, right? And, and so I think that's the difference right now. Uh, but I, I just think for the Steelers, they just have to keep winning, and they have to figure out. Uh, what's wrong, A, with the running game, and B, with the, uh, the drop passes. And I, I think, you know, I, Ben did his uh, little Zoom thing this morning, and he took the whole blame, uh, especially on that one-fourth and one pass when he threw the back shoulder thing to, uh, and, and, you know, and the, the McFarland kid, the young man from, uh, the rookie from Maryland, he said, that play, he said, the pass I threw, was a wide receiver pass and here it was the running back trying to catch it and and I think you know I, I, that's a very salient point and, and, and he took it on himself he said I didn't throw a good pass so uh, you know I, I, it starts with Ben uh, they've done a good job of protecting him up front but I think up front they've got to maybe get a lower pad level and and dig in when they have to especially on the short guarded situation how many times in your career have you seen uh, you, you know, you throw more the north of 50 passes, generally uh, you don't win. And Ben threw 53 the other day. I didn't mind the 53 passes because I think slowly the Steelers have gravitated toward a West Coast offense look. What bothered me was uh, there were 20 empty targets. In other words, there were 20 targets that weren't answered on the other end. I believe Washington only had 13, and they had two players who didn't have an empty target, Logan Thomas, the tight end, who played a great game, and uh, McKissick, the running back. Uh, they, they caught everything that was targeted. So, you know, I think the Steelers' offense has to just be more efficient, and they weren't. Um, have you ever seen anything more surprising than the Giants go to Seattle and win a 10-point underdog with a backup quarterback and Colt McCoy, and they chased Russell Wilson all over the place. I think all over the place. I mean, Patrick Graham, their defensive coordinator, deserves a ton of credit, and that defensive group, particularly the secondary, deserves a ton of credit. They harassed Russell Wilson all day. You know what's interesting, uh, Bill? Uh, I look at I mean, Pittsburgh gets a, a lot of publicity because they're a good team. Kansas City gets a ton of publicity for the same reason. Green Bay, New Orleans. Not a lot of people are talking about Buffalo, and I think they're a dangerous team. Frank Gore, 
Uh, and they've got, uh, you know, they've got a defense that gets after it. Although, you know, having just gone through and built my charts, uh, a lot more changes for Buffalo from last year to this year on defense mm-hmm. than have been on offense. And uh, even though it's rebuilt, that's been a very effective defense. So yeah, this will be a this will be a challenge for the Pittsburgh Steelers, no doubt. And I think I think they know it. And and maybe that will uh, break the malaise that hit them on uh, this past game. Well, you talk about their defense. I mean, their safety Jordan Pryor is leading the team in tackles with a hundred. I mean, that's that's pretty rare. And then. Look, the defense has done very well. They've, they've had 30 sacks this year. They've played particularly well. But on the other side of the ball, is there anybody who's made a bigger impact to this team than Stephon Diggs? No. I mean, look at the number of catches and look at, you know, what's happened. It's, uh, it's mind-boggling when you really think about it. Well, over 1,000 yards. And not only him, but Cole Beasley's had a good year. Yeah. And I'll even take it a step further. Usually you don't spend a lot of time talking about the the, uh, the return game, but Andre Roberts has got has averaging 29 yards per kickoff return and 12 yards per punt return. That's pretty good numbers. Yeah, and, uh, you know, as far as the students are concerned in that regard, uh, they're hoping that uh, Chris Boswell is ready to go because he's got a stronger leg than Matthew Wright. Matthew did okay, made the two extra points, made a 30-some-yard uh, field goal, 37, I think. Uh, but he's not Chris Boswell, and I think uh, they're going to need Boswell's strong leg to get those touchbacks to avoid that return game. And I think that could be one of the keys as well. I, I think it's going to be one of them, if not the most intriguing game on the calendar this week. Uh, it's certainly right up there. you got two teams that are playing for playoff positioning, and everybody – is searching for that number one seed, and you know, the, and everybody knows what it means, you know. So if, if right now Pittsburgh and Kansas City are tied, they both want that number one seed, and at that time of the year, that week off matters. Yeah, and it's only one, only one team will get it this time. I was worried about that week eighteen, but I think we've gone by that possibility. At least I knock on wood and hit myself in the head uh, <laughs> because I, I, before the season started. I was like a lot of people. I didn't think that they'd complete it. But they have a chance now to do so. Um, But we'll just have to wait and see how the COVID thing plays out. Keep up the good work, Bill. Always always a pleasure talking to you, and you stay safe. Thank you. And you too, Howard. Always a pleasure. Give me a buzz, and maybe we can talk about playoffs if the Steelers officially get to that status, which they haven't yet. Well, they'll get there. You have a good day. You too. Bill Hillgrove. A longtime radio voice of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I love this time of the year because teams are starting to gear up for the playoffs in the National Football League. The NBA is getting ready to start a little later than usual, playing in a shorter schedule, 72 games. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a blast. And I I don't know, I, I, I get conflicted sometimes when, when you look at certain things that are going on and this whole pandemic and its influence on sports is quite obvious and it's hurt a lot of people, it's hurt a lot of teams. But more than that, put things in perspective, 290,000 people are dead in this country and we're losing over 2,000 people a day. And now we're talking about the vaccine and its impact. 
We're the biggest country in the world. But yet, the United Kingdom got the first vaccine yesterday. Why? Somebody dropped a ball in a sports vernacular, and we all know who. You folks have a great day. Stay safe. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.